Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another DMN one-on-one. And on a, a sunny afternoon in New York, for once, I'm happy to be at the offices of Susie. And my guest today is Matt Britton, the CEO. Welcome, Matt. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for coming to our headquarters here in Soho. I'm <laughs> very, very happy to be out here. Um, so, such a lot we could talk about. I particularly want to talk about the consumer insight space and how that has evolved in the data and digital-driven world. But let's just start off with a little bit about your background. I mean, you're, you're an author, youth nation, all about the millennial generation. Yes, you're, you're an expert on that. How? What was the path which led you to Susie? Uh, well, it's been a long path. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version, if you will. <laughs> sure. um, in college, I was a nightclub promoter. Um, it's kind of the first thing I did from a career standpoint that I found passion in, which was essentially getting people to take action based upon something that I promoted to them. Right. Um, it was less about nightclubs and more about the notion that you could influence people's decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, I happened to do so by building a team of people to hand out flyers and promote parties during college. Um, when I left college, it was kind of at the very beginning of the dot-com boost um, and then burst uh, right after. This is kind of 1999. Um, and at that time, there was a lot of companies out there, internet-based companies like Lycos and eBay and Yahoo, that were just starting that early on realized that college students were sort of like a disproportionately good consumer segment to get your business off the ground. Right. So um, I read a lot of the new, on the news about these new upstart internet companies, and I started kind of cold calling them. And basically, my pitch was, I can have those same students that hand out flyers, not just now in Boston, where I went to college at Boston University, but everywhere around the country build your uh, presence on the web and build your user base right. through college students. So I built a nationwide network of student reps. And it's funny, the way that we actually delivered for these clients early on is I told them that I can help you get you registered users. And there was no iPads back then. So what I did is I had college students with clipboards uh-huh. go to consumers, have them actually fill out their username and password. Mm-hmm. And then I had data entry people go into the website and actually register for them. I mean, imagine that happening right now in this day and age right. of privacy and security. Yeah. But these companies loved it because it was a cheap and easy way for them to get new users. Um, that company, which is called the Magma Group, my very first company out of college, actually went under because the dot-com bubble happened and none of my clients were able to right. uh, pay their bills. We kind of got Aqua hired by a small um, agency in New York, uh, which I then subsequently left, and I started Mr. Youth in 2002. And Mr. Youth was essentially um, a bigger, more professional version of what I originally tried to do out of college. The only difference being all of our clients weren't internet companies. We worked with the P&Gs and Cokes and Microsofts of the world. Right. And Mr. Youth, which I found out of my bedroom in 2002, um, ended up growing over a period of 12 years to about 500 people. Um, in 2013, it was acquired by the Publicis Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years helping to run Starcom Media Vest. Before the agency was acquired, um, I had incubated a software platform called CrowdTap, which was originally built to help companies manage and measure student representatives. Um, We built it for our own purposes. Other companies wanted to license it. I spun it out. CrowdTap continued to grow simultaneously as I grew the agency, and after I left Publicis Group, um, I actually rejoined as CEO of CrowdTap. Okay. Um, and when I rejoined, I saw a business that had grown to a nice size, but it kind of flattened off because the influencer market had changed. I saw a business opportunity, which was to essentially pivot the use of CrowdTap's audience from influencer marketing to consumer insights, and that's where Susie was born, and that's where we are today. So in short, basically, Susie was a um, pivot of a spinoff okay. <laughs> uh, of Mr. Youth, and uh, it's funny how it worked out that way, but things are in a great place, and we're really excited about the future here at Susie. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the consumer insights space, because 
as all our listeners know, it goes back a long way, focus groups, interviewing people yep. directly, getting getting strangers to respond to your brand. It sounds like, obviously, the technology has developed, and I'd like to talk about that, but it also sounds like you've had the knack for some time of engaging with an audience or a segment and actually getting them to respond. Is, is that part of the secret of what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, in short, with the, with the millennial generation now, Gen Z, the script has changed for marketers because mm-hmm. decisions in terms of the future of culture, business, and society are no longer dictated from the boardrooms, but they're dictated from the sidewalks. Right. It used to be if you hated the product, you didn't really have a global soapbox to go and tell everybody. If you had a bad customer experience, right? if you went to a restaurant and it wasn't good, you were really disempowered as a consumer. Yeah. So as long as brands had the ability to keep running 30-second spots on the limited TV networks that people watch, they could continue to build their brand despite degradation of service or offering. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, know, you have a bad experience with your cable provider or you know at a theme park or with a product you can tell everybody and that's going to spread and the consumer is now empowered so as a result more than ever before brands have to listen to consumers they have to be consumer centric to hear what's going on on top of that the rate of change accelerates every single year so the consumer you thought that existed last year mm-hmm. is no longer the consumer now so we see a huge opportunity at Suzy to really empower brands to become consumer centric at the speed of culture at the speed in which they need to make decisions to make sure that they're assuming nothing and they really have the you know the voice of the consumer in every decision along the way. That's about speed there, but scale's important too, isn't it, in in this modern world? Because you must be reaching a lot more than the focus group for a dozen people. For sure. You did something completely different. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, we're really privileged at Suzy to have the benefit of having access to our own proprietary panel of over 1 million U.S. consumers. Uh, this consumer base has been built over the period of about eight years since CrowdTap was in existence as a standalone company. These consumers are on a standalone application, uh, which essentially allows them to earn rewards uh, 24-7 by answering both qualitative and quantitative questions on behalf of our brands. Mm. Um, it's a fun, easy, lightweight way for them to sort of monetize their downtime, if you will. And we really have focused on the right diversification of our panel, um, as well as the quality of our panel. So we've done a ton in the artificial intelligence space to make sure that we weed out bad quality responses, bad actors that are part of our panel. Mm-hmm. And what that enables for our clients, who we have now over 100 150 enterprise brands on Suzy is the ability to essentially talk to a scalable group of consumers and get instant same meeting results. Uh, so you talked about the days where you would fill out a survey and maybe whoever was collecting that survey would get back to Delta, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> in 90 days with the results. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, 20 minutes where you're going to have 500 open-ended responses. So you're in a meeting, you want to know what consumers think about copy and ad and offer packaging, you name it. You could ask a very specific set of consumers what they think and have enough information during that same meeting to make a decision with the voice of the consumer really driving it. Okay, and this is something I think you, you almost came close to answering there, but what's on my mind is the advantages of this approach over social listening, because of course yeah. there are also tools which will allow Great you to question. hear voices right across the internet. So the only social listening tool um, that you're actually, that isn't behind privacy walls that you can actually tap into at scale is the Twitter firehose. Mm-hmm. And the reality of Twitter is that 99% of their tweets come from 1% of their users. <laughs> right. So um, talk about a biased audience. If your listening actually only comes from that select 1% of people, not just who use Twitter, but actually tweet on Twitter, mm-hmm. 
you really are disadvantaged because you're highly skewed. Not to mention when you conduct social listening, you have limited information about the people who are tweeting. Yeah. Um, you can't retarget them and actually dig deeper. So it's, it's a difference between overhearing somebody in Times Square to having a deep conversation with somebody over 45 minutes at scale. That's the difference between social listening and what Susie provides. Okay, and the, the panel you're talking about, Susie's panel, it's still uh, demographically based on the younger consumer? That's No, it's actually not. No, so not. we actually mapped the census in okay. the U.S. in terms of age. Um, our consumer member team here has done an incredible job at making sure that we position um, CrowdTap, which is our panel uh, product, to really everybody through a variety of different incentives because our customers want to talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. They don't just want to talk to the younger consumer. So over time, we've evolved that panel that actually allowed to map the census, not just in terms of geography, but also in you know things like um, income. Yeah. Uh, and obviously gender and all sorts of things. So our consumers have properly weighted um, census-based criteria responses. I see. So uh, can a brand come to you and tell you the kind of audience they want to put questions Yeah, I mean, to? they don't even need to come to us. They right. go to Suzy. Uh -huh. So basically, Suzy is a self-service tool. So that, so a, consumer, a you know, company could say, I want to target females age 35 to 44 that have two children. Mm -hmm. And th then their questions will only go to them. And then if people respond a certain way, they can ask their second question only to a subset that responded to a certain way and continue to drill deeper. Very good. Now, I've, I've noticed um, you're obviously serving some very big household name yep. brands. Are there any you can talk about in terms of examples, the kinds of things they've been looking to find out? So, you know, we're a software company, so we license the software. Mm -hmm. We help our, our clients understand the best practices and set them up for success, but we don't go into their research in terms of how they're using it. Frankly, okay. it's none of our business. <laughs> okay. um, we do know from a high-level standpoint, anecdotally, the best use cases. Uh, and there's really kind of three main types of archetypes of customers that we have. We have companies that are in the innovation side of things. It's early in the product development pipeline, understanding is there a market demand for this new product? How much will they pay for it, et cetera. We have clients that are more on the communication side. So they want to understand how this product should be communicated. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the key messaging points? What type of offers might they respond to? And then we have consumer, uh, customers that are in the kind of um, customer management side, if you will. So they're talking to people who've already bought the product. What do you think about it? How can we make it better? What will make you stick with us for the long term? So those are really so it's really across the entire funnel, and and users across the entire funnel see different great uh, you know use cases for how to leverage Suzy to really help them drive better, more informed decision making. Okay, and uh, one thing which caught my eye is a campaign you're involved in right now. It's a it's got a lovely name. Don't 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 feed the hippo. Yes, it makes me think of don't feed the troll. But yeah, <laughs> tell, tell us about. So the HIPPO is something um, that we stumbled upon, which is really an acronym for highest paid person's opinion. <laughs> and throughout my agency career of 13, 14 years, I saw it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Let's just say the CMO's name was Bill. Yeah. We would come up with an amazing idea to the brand manager and they'd say, this was great, but I just need to run it by Bill. Mm -hmm. And then Bill would decide if the idea is good or not. The problem is Bill's frame of reference for making that decision is maybe what his daughter told him when he was dropping her off at school or a TV show he watched last night. But Bill isn't the consumer. Mm -hmm. So frankly, what Bill thinks doesn't really matter and, and most of the time has very little correlation to the chance of that product decision being successful in the marketplace. So really what Susie is is an antidote to the hippo. It yeah. gives the decision, the marketing manager, the brand manager, you know, the product manager ammo when he speaks to Bill right and or she speaks to the bill and says well actually consumers 
thought otherwise. We talked to your customers just an hour ago, and they think otherwise. Right. Otherwise, they have no choice but to listen to Bill. Right. And the hippos are the reason that you know that Blockbuster never evolved, mm -hmm. right? Because if there's a millennial running Blockbuster, I guarantee you they would have shifted to streaming a lot more quickly. But since the head of Blockbuster didn't grow up in the digital generation, they didn't prioritize that, mm -hmm. right? And because they weren't living that world. So if you look at the roadkill of companies that have sort of been ran over by this new range of upstarts, it's because they didn't grow up in that generation, but more importantly, they weren't listening to that generation. Yeah. And as a result, it really impacted their business. We see this, I mean, everyone sees this happening in their own line of work. Bill, to call him yeah. that, he's got where he is because he thinks he's got great gut instincts. That's right. And the only way to really put something else into play there is to show Bill actual data. That's exactly right, yeah. That, that's the ammunition against it. And, you know, it's not lost to me that I named Bill because the reality is that we're in a world where we're, we have a diversified population um, and there's emerging populations that are coming up. Mm. And we're not in the world where old white men can dictate the future anymore. And right. if you look at the corporate boards and the CEOs of most companies, is older white men that are in their 50s and 60s mm -hmm. and they need to market to a younger, more diverse consumer set. Right, so they are mostly largely out of touch. And that's not to say they're always wrong, yeah. right? But I think that you need diversified inputs of people with different incomes, different backgrounds, different ages to help drive your company depending upon who you're going after. And I think a, a lot of companies have really struggled with that. They struggle with legacy thinking, legacy models, and right. they're getting run over as a result. And I can see that leads directly to another topic, which is too big for us to go into on this podcast, which is brand safety. Because if you've got, a, if you've got sensitive antenna for what your consumers are thinking and what they value, it keeps you out of trouble, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. And, and you know, we also assist consumers. We don't share any PII, personally mm -hmm. identifiable information, of our panel. So we basically rid them of the responsibility of having to actually have specific consumer data, which is really a liability in yeah. this day and age, um, but really give them anonymized consumer profiles to help you say, hey, consumers between the age of 30 and 35 think that you're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. So yes, brand safety is huge. Having your ear to the ground, listening, understanding what's going on um, in now, as of today, in a very specific way, is really a necessity in this day and age, I think, for any business, uh, whether you're running a pizza shop on the quarter or you're running Procter & Gamble and everything in between. <laughs> That's a beautiful place to bring this in for landing. Matt, thanks so much Thank for sharing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Look out for the next one-on-one. -on -one.